This podcast contains strong language, sexual references, and terrible advice. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony R. It's time for Agony R. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony R. Well, Agony R is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony R a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Aunt podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not with our own wisdom, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. Or, failing that, just by recommending books, films and music for you to enjoy. My name's Aaron, I'm our resident book lover, and I'm joined by Carl, our motion picture mafioso, and Liam, our hip-hop harmonizer. Yeah. <laughs> in our swanky studio that it's impossible to find me and Carl get lost on the way every time <laughs> did you get lost on the way today? no no it was alright today say hello lads howdy how you doing? Uh, are you going to do that accent the whole episode Carl? I think so <laughs> walking over here I'm walking here <laughs> <laughs> oh great now before we begin I want to make it very clear that we're not here to solve your real problems all our submissions are certified 100% trivial and or fictional pickles and our advice should almost never be followed. We're really only here to have fun, so if you're having a really hard time, please check out our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. Now, why is your um, New York accent, what does it start with Crash Bandicoot dying? Whoa! <laughs> Getting over here. <laughs> Whoa! I'm walking over here! <laughs> <laughs> with that spiel out of the way let's get on with it problem one today is I have recently realised that I might have an obsession with eating pasta I can't get enough of it a bowl of penne here a pack of tortellini there even my Italian lover says I have a problem and pasta is basically his religion how can I overcome this obsession so names for this person you know who has an Italian lover Princess Daisy. Peach. I was thinking Princess yeah, Peach. Sorry. Yeah, I went with Daisy. Who's Daisy? Uh, in the Game Boy versions. Really? Yeah. Daisy. She, Who's the yellow one in um, Mario Kart? Is she like Luigi's Squeeze? The yellow one. <laughs> Luigi's Squeeze. <laughs> isn't no the yellow one Daisy? Isn't it? I think. Yeah, the yeah, yellow yeah. one's Daisy. She's, yeah. Well, she wears a yellow dress. Yeah. Yeah. She dates She's not Luigi. yellow herself. <laughs> I thought she was entirely yellow, <laughs> and the dress was part of her body. <laughs> Mario Kart was released uh, nine years ago or something, Mario Kart 8. Really? And it's still in the top ten video games sold pretty much every year. Mental. It Mad, never goes down in price, ever. Mm. That's quite a bullet and buy it for 40 quid. Nintendo are bad for sales, though, aren't they? They never put anything on sale, really. Um, <laughs> that was a digression. So, wow. Carl, can you help Princess Peach? I reckon I can. I'm going to teach you, Princess Peach, to never be obsessed again. Because obsession can lead to dark roads. <laughs> dark roads. Dark roads. Um, so I'm going to talk about 1987's Fatal Attraction, directed by Adrian Lin. Mm. Now, I reckon you two have heard of this, but probably know nothing about it. Yep. I know a little bit about it, but I'm mm. not going to say it because I ruined your Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that was shagadelic. <laughs> I don't want to say the immortal quote from Fatal Attraction. I've lost my rabbit. 
Um, so, I've, you know, I love a bit of a budget versus box office fact. And you probably realise I only ever ask it when it's like <laughs> done really well, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but um, $14 million budget, box office, Aaron. $168 million. That's a... Uh, that's pretty good. I yeah. think you've intentionally led us down the wrong path. Fourteen point one million. Three hundred twenty million dollars. Oh my days! I'm doing a Doctor Evil. <laughs> Gazillion. <friend. laughs> no fucking good. Good work, Adrian yeah. Lynn. Michael Douglas plays Dan, a happy married New York New York lawyer. Is he walking here? He's walking everywhere in New wow. York. <laughs> Was that a manhole? Uncovered manhole. Wow. <laughs> Um, and whilst he's happily married, he starts banging Alex while his wife and kid is he starts away. Starts banging, banging, <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, shagadelic baby <laughs> in his shag pad. Mm. Uh, so he starts an affair with um, Alex, played by Glenn Close, while his wife and kid are away. And they kind of agree, you know, oh, we shouldn't have done that, but we did it. But you know, let's move on. You know, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next morning, Dan tries to leave, so Alex cuts her wrists. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's not so casual. No. Um, so Dan has to spend the day with her thinking, oh, fuck, it's better make sure she's right. He spends the night with her as well, and then he slinks away in the morning, but then Alex hounds him at work and calls him constantly, sends him stuff. I feel like nothing ever ends well when somebody slinks away. No. Never slink. <laughs> Never slink. Never slink. So he starts ignoring her, but then she claims she's pregnant. And she calls him all hours and starts calling him at home as well, which obviously alerts Beth to some kind of... Beth is his wife, sorry. Um, Henry's the son. Is it Henry? Don't matter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So it alerts her that something's going on. They're also... Dan's selling his apartment and um, Glenn Close, a.k.a. Alex, uh, turns up and posing as a buyer and uh, makes it really awkward, obviously. Uh, And then, yeah, things just escalate from there. She sends him hate mail. She sends him a recording, a tape recording of her, like, swearing at him, calling him all the words under the sun. Nowadays, you'd just leave a WhatsApp voice, voice note. Yeah, you? imagine going to the effort of recording it. Like, I don't like that. Rewinding, record again. <laughs> Especially when you're saying all of the words under the sun. Yeah. <laughs> that would take hours. And then you fuck one of them up. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I fucked up Aardvark. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, she pours acid on his car and then the big the big uh, moment of this film she sneaks into the house and boils the family pet rabbit oh inventing the term bunny boiler yes indeed it all kind of escalates into like a slasher film ending with um, Alex trying to kill Beth then Dan drowns in the bath but she survives and she jumps out of the bath all like fucking crazy with a knife and then uh, Beth shoots her twice um, killing her. So you're saying that um, Pasta might end up shooting this person <laughs> twice. <laughs> because I mean, if you, unless you kind of wean yourself off Pasta, Pasta's going to haunt your life, <laughs> find you, pour acid on your car, kill your rabbit. Well, the thing is, Princess Peach is the one with the obsession in this situation. Right, so it's so actually, she's going to kill. She's going to boil Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Carl! This is such a great example. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, she's, she's past and the pasta's boiler. going to shoot her with probably cholesterol issues because she's yeah, eating too much yeah, pasta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pasta will get you in the oh, end. Oh, shit. Yeah. There's so many levels to Carl's examples. There is. He's really stepped it up for Series 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think any obsession is unhealthy to a point. 
Um, also, isn't it fair view. to say that maybe doing the hunker chunker with a random stranger when you're happily married was probably a bad idea? Yeah, the hunker chunker. Yeah, the black mamba. I'm walking here. <laughs> I'm walking over here, and then we do the hunker chunker. I'm hunker chunking over here. <laughs> Excellent example, Carl. I, feel like I think we peaked, to be honest, because yeah, I, might as well I, give I really struggled with this one. I, I had a bit of a block. I was trying to think of, like, a bit outside the box and think of, like, mentions of pasta in popular music. Can you think of any? It's quite difficult. I only got two. Mm. And that was weird oh, research. Oh, Mum's Spaghetti. Mum's Spaghetti, oh, yeah, that's the first yeah. one. Vomit all over... So obviously from Eminem's 2002 hit Lose Yourself, Mm. written on set during the filming of 8 Mile, by the way. And he won an Oscar for that song? Yeah. It's last minute prep. He's like... (laughs) (laughs) He's Liam. (laughs) Oh no, he's not Liam. Oh no, he's he's one of us. And he he recorded it on set as well. He knocked up a studio and... On on set and and recorded it. Is that as impressive as um, Celine Dion recorded My Heart Will Go On in one take? No. <laughs> Objective answer. <laughs> so obviously, in lose yourself, rabbit was taking part in a rap battle. Rabbit again, fuck you, exactly. Him, yeah. <laughs> Boil him, <laughs> and then he gets boiled. <laughs> uh, if I remember rightly, he was uh, he was so nervous that he vomited his mum's spaghetti mm. on, all down his jumper. His palms are sweaty. Yeah, vomit on his sweat already. He was mum's spaghetti, mm. uh, but on the surface. He looked calm and ready. To Confidence. drop bombs. Confidence is perception, whatever. Perception is reality. We yeah. spoke about that last we did. week, didn't we? Confidence is a preference to the natural voyeur of what is known as... Park life. <laughs> <laughs> um, Habitual voyeur, though, isn't it? Not yeah, natural. thanks. I knew I missed one word. <laughs> <laughs> so that I don't have to put it in the corrections on the uh, Agony Art website. <laughs> Live corrections. Yeah. It'll be here all day. <laughs> so I don't think that's very helpful, but... You <laughs> no shit. You could you could imagine Mum's spaghetti being vomited up on your sweater every time you eat pasta, and that would stop you from eating so much pasta. <laughs> yeah, I'll just move to penne. <laughs> uh, the next thing, the next song I found uh, is a mention of pasta e fasul, which was probably terribly pronounced uh, from 1953 song. That's Amore, made popular by oh. Dean Martin. Pizza mm. pies are in that as well. Mm. Big pizza pies. Mm. It, it contains a line, when the stars make you drool like pasta e fasul. That's Amore. Mm. Is he the brother of Razagul? Pasta e fasul, in case you don't know, is a dish containing pasta and beans, usually cannellini beans. Oh, not baked beans. Not baked beans. Heinz baked beans. <laughs> I think Heinz do a version. I don't know. <laughs> you can get Heinz pasta and beans, can yeah. you? Yeah. With little sausages in. Yeah, all day <laughs> breakfast in a can. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> so, and by all accounts, it's very nice. Or, well, it makes you drool at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> that might just mean it's it kills you. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> you, it makes you, you brain dead. It makes you brain dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it's probably not that helpful. So, so yeah, not much help from the music industry so far. But then a thought occurred to me. Oh, shit. Did it hurt? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is eating loads of pasta really that bad? Question mark. Yes. It's very carby, isn't it? Yeah. But I thought, I've always thought pasta is healthy. And at uni, I was like, I'm just going to eat pasta. And I put on like a two stone within a, <laughs> two months. So, problem, so what's the it? worst that could happen then? 
you put on weight put on weight and die of um, yeah and you suck, heart disease or suck heart the failure. lifeblood out of the NHS yeah with your you drain problems. national resources so Liam really what you're doing right now is encouraging killing the NHS you're such a prick so maybe you will put on a little weight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, maybe you will put on a little weight, but <laughs> disregard all of that. <laughs> but music can help you with that. And Park life, you should cut down on your pork life, mate. Get some exercise. Exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. And then I found a totally legitimate looking, barely referenced random article on the web that unequivocally answered this question, right? It's over at pianokeyboardreviews.com which is where I look for all my well-informed dieting tips. Yeah. And it's called Study Finds That Music Can Help You Lose Weight! Exclamation mark. It will also if you constantly to dance to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I feel like when, a, when an article that's supposed to be about like a scientific study has an exclamation mark at the end, they lose a bit of credibility, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the article says that the Farley Dickinson School of Psychology, which I believe is in New Jersey ran a study with 41 participating moderately overweight and obese women. Not sure why there weren't any men, but never mind. In this study, the participants were assigned to two groups. Both groups were tasked with dieting and walking. One of the groups were told to make a playlist of whatever music they wanted and listen to that on their walks. The other group were told that they had to walk without listening to anything. And guess what? Of the people that were listening to music on their walks, 98% of them stuck with their walking routine and lost an average of 16 pounds and 4% of their body fat. Mm. The group that didn't listen to music, only 68% of them completed the 24-week walking program, and they only lost half of the weight and body fat of the other group on average. Mm. When were they eating pasta? (laughs) They were eating pasta while they were walking. (laughs) They probably ate pasta before, and that's what made them obese. That was my understanding. So you agree about the pasta issue? I'm saying... (laughs) Music can help, Carl. (laughs) So, you know, I'm saying we've got undeniable proof that music helps you lose weight so you can eat all the pasta you want and let your favourite tunes do the work when you realise you've overindulged. Mm. And that is my advice. And music makes the people lose weight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of agree with you. Your beginning point, Liam, which is that unless it's causing you to experience massive weight gain or health problems, it's not really such a massive problem, Princess Peach. Do you think Princess Peach ever had to worry about weight gain? I don't know, because she did go from 2D to 3D at one point, didn't Mm. she? And so that must have been a shock. Like looking at yourself in the mirror one day, one day you were flat and the next day you were like, whoa, wow. (laughs) How unhealthy do you think a diet exclusively of mushrooms is as well? It must be really good for you, but it's not very nutritionally diverse. They get leaves as well to make them fly. Oh, yeah, good point. (laughs) And And sometimes they turn into raccoons. (laughs) Um, How much weight would you put on going from 2D to 3D? Quite a lot. You'd put on all the weight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Anyway, shut up. (laughs) I think you should eat as much pasta as you want, Princess Peach, unless... You know, you've really started piling on the pounds. But if you want to, if you want to try and like diversify your food a bit, I think you should read some books that you know open you up to a new world of culinary delights. Culinary, or is it culinary? I don't know. Yeah, I never just it's never know. Cool culinary. Partly, you could read "Eat, Pray, Love" by Elizabeth Gilbert. We just discussed it in season one, episode four. Is that long ago? That yeah. long ago. Really? And they were the early days of the podcast, weren't they? So if you go back and listen to that, and you're a new listener, you'll be like, whoa. 
And I still live the by the quality the, um, really ramped stayed up. Stayed the same. <laughs> <laughs> I still live by that eat, pray, love. Yeah. Yeah. Do you eat Perry and Love every day? I don't do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so you could read just the eat part of Eat, part, eat Pray, Love to uh Are they separated by those? I don't know. I've never read it, Carl. <laughs> Still haven't read it. Two series later. <laughs> Otherwise, you could read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. Mm. If you want to move from piles of pasta to chocolate rivers. Mm. That's a bad idea, though. Why? Why? Because he falls in. I would fall into Augustus. a chocolate river. <laughs> Augustus Gloop. Kitchen Confidential Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. I'm going to say it in all different ways. By Anthony Bourdain. A non-fiction book which is, to quote Wikipedia, an unfiltered look at the less glamorous aspects of high-end restaurant kitchens, which he describes as unremittingly intense, unpleasant, hazardous, and staffed by misfits. Is, is that before Gordon Ramsay got popular on telly? Or is this a recent book? Because I feel like everyone knows that already. I think it's the book that kind of shot Anthony Bourdain into fame. Mm. There's a really good film on Netflix called um, Boarding Point. Yes, Steve brilliant Graham. film. It's, it's a, like a one-shot film in a restaurant, high-end restaurant. And it makes like, it seems like a normal night to the customers. It's just a normal normal night in a restaurant. But like, there's loads going on behind the scenes that you don't know. It's very good, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I love Stephen Graham think he's brilliant in everything he's in but he's in a lot of things as well isn't he? yeah and someone said to me once yeah but he's the same character in everything he's in isn't he never spoke to him again <laughs> cut them out of your life yeah. that's not true though he does accents he does he did that cockney accent in snatch anyway if you like the anthony bourdain book which started that digression <laughs> you, could, you could read the book that was an influence on that book which is down and out in paris and london by george orwell which also describes the kind of squalor of kitchens, <laughs> describes the caste system of a hotel kitchen in Paris and the protagonist's experience as a dishwasher there. These will give you, like, open up your food experience, you know what I mean? Open your mind, man. Or, if you really want to stop, you could read The Edible Woman by Margaret Atwood. The protagonist, Marion, begins endowing food with human qualities that cause her to identify with it and finds herself unable to eat in the end, repelled by the metaphorical cannibalism. It's actually a proto-feminist book with a very serious message, but Princess Peach could take it very literally and just start giving your pasta a name and make little pasta clothes for it and stuff, like a little pasta tuxedo. And then you won't be able to bring yourself to eat it anymore because it will have a personality. This is um, in Seinfeld. Someone makes Jerry, Fusilli Jerry. So Jerry Seinfeld made out of Fusilli. <laughs> and it's like a it's a massive thing throughout the whole nine series about Fusilli Jerry. That's what I was trying to get at. I was hoping you'd go on that digression. Yeah, well done. Yeah, I've you never seen me. it. Or Reeled me in. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Princess Peach. What we're basically saying is keep eating your pasta if you want to eat your pasta, but don't get obsessed with it because it might shoot you and boil your bunny or you might boil its bunny. (laughs) (laughs) But if you are, you know, experiencing massive weight gain, maybe you could exercise while you listen to music. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. I'm so happy now because my problems have been solved. I found this podcast. It helped me with my worst of woes Now there's nothing in the way Of the happy life I've chased so long
The only problem left is I don't know how to write happy songs, but I'm so happy now. Yeah, I'm so happy now. A new chord. All right, you're welcome, Princess Peach. Now let's move on to problem two. Help someone else. I can't get my dog to calm down. We've tried training, treats, stern voices, everything. And she still just wants to jump up at you, hump your leg and lick your face nonstop. How do I get her to take a chill pill? So we're in, again, like last week, we're in a studio with a dog today. And very well-trained dog. But it's not your dog, is it, Liam? No, it's Liam's it's studio, but not Liam's dog. It's so Liam, dog. Liam can't take the credit for the I training. Um, Carl, you've got a dog, though. How well would you say she's trained? Um, untrained. <laughs> untrained. <laughs> so, so for the listeners, we, we had a podcast planning session around Carl's a while back. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's fair to say she was barking for most of the night and... Humping my arm for a large portion of the night as well. Yeah, I don't think she stopped humping your arm at any point. <laughs> yeah, um, we mastered the go to toilet outside, but that's basically it. Because she's just a very small dog, a dash hound, she is very easy to put on your lap. And now she just craves attention constantly, basically. I, I feel like it's pe- when dogs are bigger, it's a lot more important that you train them because they can just do a lot more damage and yeah. generally be more annoying. <laughs> yeah. Little dogs tend to get away with murder. It's bad because she gets really excited when new people are around or people come to the house. So she's not actually like that. Like we sit and watch TV. She sits in between us and that's it. But when people are here, she doesn't stop barking or humping them <laughs> or licking them. <laughs> I didn't even know that female dogs humping things was a thing. So no, I didn't even. She's opened my eyes up to that <laughs> whole world. Carl. So we need a name for this pickle. Who has an excitable dog? Or who is an excitable dog? Beethoven. He's in there. I love Beethoven. Do you remember when he had loads of puppies? It was great. Ludwig. Ludwig van. <laughs> Ludwig. Ludwig van. So I'll just dive straight in and start helping Ludwig. As we know, it's a hard life being a dog. All the pressures of work and friendships. Hard life. <laughs> I sound a bit like I'm um, presenting a infomercial, don't I? Yeah. All the pressures <laughs> of work Have you been a dog recently? <laughs> Have you had a hard life? You could be part of a class action lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Managing finances, holding down romantic relationships. And then there's the internet. How's your dog supposed to relax when the first thing she sees when she looks over your shoulder when you're scrolling the internet is other, cuter, fluffier dogs? Hmm... It's really no wonder that she can't calm down, I think. The world just wants to overload her with stimuli until she loses her mind and votes Tory just to feel safe. So maybe it's time you taught your dog about mindfulness. Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World by Mark Williams and Danny Penman. The blurb said it reveals a set of simple yet powerful practices that you can incorporate into daily life to break the cycle of anxiety stress, unhappiness, and exhaustion. It promotes the kind of happiness that gets into your bones and allows you to meet the worst that life throws at you with new courage. Penman's a good name for a writer. It is, isn't it? Maybe it's a pen 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 name. name. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think we didn't quite understand the concept. <laughs> Penman. <laughs> Mindfulness is all about taking time to live in the moment. Breathe. Absorb your surroundings and ground yourself. Do either of you two practice mindfulness? Do you ever? No. I do, sometimes. Yeah? Yeah. Although, I don't know. To be honest, I'm very conscious that I don't really need to, in the sense that... <laughs> I'm just such I, a chill guy. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. It's I'm always living in the moment, What's the opposite? Because Liam needs to be less chill sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, certain times it does help when... Like when we're recording the podcast, for example... And because I tend to get into my own head quite a lot and think about things and stop listening to what people are saying. So, mm. uh, what was your example again? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, like when we were recording the podcast, f- trying to stay in the moment and focus on what people were saying and actually follow mm. it is is quite important. Yeah, I've been doing mindfulness, uh, trying to do it every day for the past few weeks. Even if it's just like a three-minute guided meditation all about breathing and stuff. And it's so difficult to get into because I live in my head, basically. I'm just constantly thinking about stuff, analysing the things that I've done and thinking people are going to judge you for that and shit like that. Just stupid shit. But even though I'm not very good at the mindfulness part of it, like being in the moment and when I'm doing three-minute ones, just focus on your breathing, they're like, your mind will wander. And it's okay, just bring it back. And I'm like, my mind is constantly wandering. I <laughs> cannot bring it back. Like I'm thinking, oh no, I'm starting to think about this. I'll think about my breathing again. Breathing's good, isn't it? Do you remember when you breathed last week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even though I'm not very good at it, just generally doing it, like doing it every day has calmed me a bit. Like you still get the feeling of being calmed. So I think it would be helpful for basically everyone to... and. To your point about listening to people, that's part of what I want to get out of it. Being more in conversations. Quite often people are talking to me and I am somewhere else. In my head I'm thinking, Sunshine, lollipops. (laughs) There's a monkey in my head with (laughs) symbols. And some people are so good at it. Like I've known a few people who are so good at small talk and when they're talking to someone, they remember the shit that they've said mm. next time they see them they go so how did your exam go that you were talking about last time and i'm like how the fuck do you remember that i do not care what <laughs> anyone says to me it is forgotten as soon as they've said it not in a nasty way it's just i'm not there i'm not in the moment and i want to be better at that so yeah I've, that's why i've been doing it and generally to calm myself down because i'm just an anxious ball bag to quote frantic world let's get back on topic franticworld.com the site for the book Meditation is not a religion. Mindfulness is simply a method of mental training. You don't have to sit cross-legged on the floor, like the pictures you may have seen in magazines or on TV. But you can if you want to. And meditation is not complicated, nor is it about success or failure. Even when meditation feels difficult, you'll have learned something valuable about the workings of the mind and thus have benefited psychologically. So I think your dog will be happier if she brings herself back to the present every now and then, feels her breath filling up her lungs, listens to all the sounds of the world instead of constantly humping your leg. (laughs) Don't dogs constantly live in the moment, though? Don't know, Liam. (laughs) Ask her. When I ask them, they don't give me a sensible answer. I was reading something recently, just talking about mind, 
where it was saying the the thing where we only use 10% of our brain is a complete like fiction. Yeah. And it's the reason why you can focus on something more and feel like you're utilizing your brain more is because when you're not focusing on one thing, your brain's doing loads of things. Like mm. if you're cooking, you're thinking about what's happening next, what you're doing now. You think about the dog just walking around your feet, thinking about a hot pan as a child over there. Your brain's doing all this at once kind of thing. You don't really mm. know it. So then when you actually focus on something using mindfulness, that's why you feel like, well, wow, like all that kind of goes away, doesn't it? All the other stuff, the background noise. Exactly. Mm. And that's a review for mindfulness from Carl. I wrote the book. More reviews say, this is an inspiring program for anyone who cares about his or her own mental health and sanity. That's from John Kabat-Zinn, who is the creator of the Stress Reduction Clinic and the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare and Society at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And if that hasn't done it for you, told you that this book is great, then listen to Goldie Horn. Peace can't be achieved in the outside world unless we have peace on the inside. Mark Williams and Danny Penman's book gives us this peace. Now, Aaron, I hear you saying, why am I supposed to take Goldie Horn at a word? I trust people more like Ruby Wax. Well, here's Ruby Wax's <laughs> review of the book. <laughs> if you want to free yourself from anxiety and stress and feel truly at ease with yourself, then read this book said Ruby Wax. Now, why is this relevant for dogs? Just quickly, you might be thinking, come on, Aaron, be serious. Dogs aren't going to practice mindfulness, are they, you silly prick? They can't even read. I was thinking that. Well, as part of CBT, I've learned about the puppy mind analogy. They've got this concept of the mind being a puppy that, you know, it's excitable. It, you sit it down next to you, but it runs off. It wants to catch that leaf that just blew by or whatever. It wants a hump. You can bring it back to you. <laughs> But it's still going to want to hump or <laughs> run and do this, run and do that. The point isn't to stop that puppy from moving at all, to tie it down next to you. It's to notice when it's running off and bring it back. Bring it back into the moment. Bring Calm yourself back. down. Bring it back. Sing it back. <laughs> Sing it back to me. <laughs> I do this uh, without knowing, but when I'm on holiday and I'm on the beach, I'll just dig a hole and think about nothing but digging the hole. And shit in it. And shit in it. <laughs> and then cover myself. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's, I, I like, really enjoy doing it. It's yeah. like, I don't think of anything else but digging my hole. But uh, we'll have a quick oh, quiz, asshole. Uh, how many dogs played the dog? In? In the series of things I'm going to talk about in a second. So, um, Are we not allowed to know what it is? No, you're going to guess. So. <laughs> no, you've got to make your guess before he says it. How many dogs played Lassie? 17. Because that ran for a few series, didn't it? Yeah, 1950 to like 1980. Yeah. Oh, blimey. 34. Only nine. Oh, oh, wow. Lassie was a female, but all of them were male. And all nine were descendants of Powell, the first Lassie. Oh, that's cute, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. There's more cuteness coming. It's like uh, Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> you are Lassie now. <laughs> <laughs> Eat the purple flower or whatever. <laughs> Um, Eddie from Frasier. You might you don't really watch Frasier, but there's a really no. good little Jack Russell in it. Four. Nineteen. Two. Oh. Is Moose and his son Enzo replaced Moose when Moose retired. Oh, that's, that's cute. nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um Beethoven. How many films were there? Three? Four, I think. Four. Yeah. And how many years apart were the films? Do you remember? Mm, eight years, maybe. Two. One. Two. Oh, plus a mechanical dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> and a man in a suit. <laughs> a man in a suit. 
<laughs> some really bad scenes. <laughs> you made a mechanical um, St. Bernard. Fucking hell. And a man in a St. Bernard suit. What the fuck? And last one, Frank the Pug from Men in Black. One. Two. One. Mushu. <laughs> Mushu is his name. <laughs> the dragon from uh, Mulan, is it? Mushu? Yeah. Am I wrong? don't know. Yeah. I've only seen Mulan once. <sighs> Let my people go. It's not from here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, new world. That's not from it either. <laughs> Liam, do you know any songs that aren't from Mulan? <laughs> Pop quiz, asshole. <laughs> um, that one from Pocahontas. <laughs> about the wind. The colours of the wind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, that does surprise me a bit because... Um, what, the colours even... of the wind wasn't in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because cause even in um, single films, there's there's often like... For babies, for example, there's often like two... Yeah. Two twins. Or I was really surprised by this because in Babe, like there was thirty odd pigs that played Babe. Mm. Seems unnecessary. I had to put the little. I've, I've said this on a pod before, I'm sure, but I had to put little toupees on thirty pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine pig, pig toupee maker on the credits? Um, but anyway, so um, I'm going to talk about Marley and Me from 2008, directed by David Frankel. Have you seen it? No, no, no. but really? dog dies. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, it does. <laughs> my wife's seen it. Yeah, this this caused uproar when it came out. Like everyone was like, "Oh my god, have you seen Marley and Me?" So Marley is a um, golden retriever, and Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston they want to start a family. Someone says to them, "Why don't you get a dog first? Yeah, you get on with it." Seems like a crazy idea to me. Like, yeah, add fuel to a fire. It does seem like the lesser of two evils because some people do have a baby to fix their relationship, don't they? That is true. But there's no suggestion that they're not having a good relationship. They think they're starting a family. Right. And I think they're they're both journalists, so they're both busy people. So they get a dog instead to start with. Even though, as you've told us, Carl, dogs are harder work than kids. I think they are, yeah. Yeah, So it's actually counterproductive. They're both busy. Exactly. (laughs) You go shopping, go for a walk, you want to get a coffee. Sometimes you can't take a dog in a coffee shop. Take a baby Mm. in a coffee shop. Mm. They welcome a baby, but not a dog. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take a dog. I, I just, I completely didn't think about this. I went to Martin Spencer's and tried to take the dog in there. And they were like, you can't bring a dog in Martin Spencer's. I was like, bitch, please. <laughs> Is that what you said to the dog? Yeah. <laughs> so they got this dog. They called it Marley after some singer. Bob Marley? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the dog turns out to be a real shit and um, incorrigible. So I saw this word and I had to say to my wife, what's this? And she went, incorrigible. Because I thought it was encourageable. Mm. Didn't know. Um, anyway, uh, are you encourageable? If I encourage you, will it work? <laughs> yeah, it will. Yeah. Go on, Carl. I'm really prone to encouragement. <laughs> Go on, you can do it. Go yes, on. all right. Let's crack on. Um, <laughs> so they try to take Marley to training sessions with a teacher, but instead of doing what he's meant to do, when she blows a whistle, he pounces on the teacher and humps her to death. Not to death. <laughs> <laughs> to death. <laughs> And so the killing spree begins. <laughs> Marley the Reckoning. <laughs> um, and he basically, there's just so many examples of him trashing the house, doing stupid things, running away with this, running away with that. And it looks like hell, essentially. But family pet, I love Marley. Mm. Uh, things come to a bit of a head, though, when they do have children. They have two children like, under five, and Jennifer Aniston, who plays Jenny, which is handy for me. Um, Handy for her as well. <laughs> Doesn't have to remember her character name. She um, starts to suffer from postpartum depression after the second child, and Marley's kind of incorrigible behaviour becomes a bit too much, and she snaps at him, and they think, you know what, we've got to get rid of the dog now. Um, but as they decide to do that, Owen Wilson's character, 
he's who's also not really doing very well at work. He decides he um, starts writing about Marley's misadventures. It becomes a hugely popular uh, column, and then he gets a job at the New York Times. So Marley actually lifts the family up and like brings them on a bit, and they don't get rid of him in the end because they're like, you know what, he's part of the family. Is this a true story? Uh, it might be. I think the book. Yeah, there is a book. The true story. Yeah. I think. This is what oh, I, no, I thought it was fiction. So I've never read it though. Ultimately, Marley's <laughs> a problem, there. but he's a beloved family pet, and they have him. He gets old, and he gets the two bouts of like in, uh, intestinal cancer, I think, and they put him down, and that's why everyone cries their eyes out because it's he's a lovable rogue, if you like. You know, it's just who he is. And he's yeah. part of the family. They can't get rid of him. So I think that I, I can relate to this because my dog is a little shit sometimes. <laughs> um, but when she's nice, she's lovely. Yeah. And so I think it's just your dog's personality. So if you really don't like anything about your dog, you probably shouldn't have it. But with anyone, with people as well, you've got to take the good with the bad. Because we're all, none of us are well trained, are we? Let's face it. Are you saying if you can't handle your dog at your worst? You don't deserve your dog at his best. I'm saying that exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Powered by fairy dust. It's another thing I see people say. Yeah? yeah. Live, laugh, loves. <laughs> the book is an autobiography. Written by, written by Marley. Written by Marley. <laughs> and now I die. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> That's okay. um, so I think what the, what the film shows you is that you're going to love this dog anyway. Unless you really don't like it, you should get rid of it, but give it to an actual loving home. But I think you need to just take the rough with the smooth. Take the rough. <laughs> <laughs> take the rough with the smooth. <laughs> Chewy. So I'm going yeah. to say this with all the confidence as so, of somebody who has never had a dog. You've got one in your house right now. Yeah, but you've basically I, got I've a never dog. really had to look after her. She basically looks after you. <laughs> exactly. But I've watched a lot of dog behavioural programmes on TV. And what How many of them did Paula Grady present? Uh, zero. Oh. There's Victoria Stillwell. Is that yeah. her name? Something like that. Who Stillwell does... by na- name. Still very well by nature. <laughs> um, <laughs> what they teach us is that it's all about persistence. Uh, so maybe you could just watch some of those TV shows. Mm. That's not the only advice I have. But listen to music at the same time. <laughs> listen to music at the same time and it'll help you lose weight. <laughs> um, maybe... On the other hand, you just need to give your dog a break and accept her for who she is. Dogs, after all, famously man's best friend. And there's been a lot of songs about dogs written over the years. And one of them was written by a cat. Cat Dealey. <laughs> cat Stevens. Stevens. Oh. 1966, he wrote a song called I Love who My Dog. Le- oh, Who Let The Dogs Out. <laughs> no, that was the Baja Men. <laughs> um... It's a very simple song with a very simple message. It goes, I love my dog as much as I love you. You may fade. My dog will always come through. All he asks from me is the food to give him strength. All he ever needs is the love that he knows he'll get. All the pay I need comes a shining through his eyes. It's a nice little song. And if it weren't for the fact that he was basically telling someone that their love was nothing compared to his dogs, it would probably be a really (laughs) sweet testament to the love that a person can feel for their pet. Mm. And there's many other songs about dogs as well. Dolly Parton's 1969 song, Gypsy Joe and Me. Have you heard this song? No. Gypsy Joe and Me follows in the tradition of country songs, which are upbeat, but 
when you listen to the lyrics, are horribly depressing. Mm. It's from her fourth solo album, My Blue Ridge Mountain Boy, and it tells a crushingly tragic story to a very upbeat country tune. In the song, Gypsy and Joe are the narrator's dog and husband, respectively, and it sounds like they are blissfully happy until the fourth verse, when it starts to get a bit dark. It goes like this. While standing by the highway, thumbing for a ride, the speeding wheels of a passing car took Gypsy's life. I lost him where I found him, and his loss was misery. Now there's no more Gypsy, there's just Joe and me. Dog died. Dog fucking died. Oh, Gypsy's the dog. Gypsy's the dog. Oh, Gypsy, comma, Joe and me. Yeah. Not Gypsy Joe. Not Gypsy Joe, Joe. no. Oh, right. And the song goes on in the same vein. In a particularly cold winter, Joe catches a chill and dies in the narrator's arms. And in the final verse, she's standing on a bridge preparing to kill herself. Mm. The final line is, tonight we'll be together again, Gypsy Joe and me. That is crushing. And the tune's all like... It's awful. Uh, So what's my point? My point is, it could be worse, mate. (laughs) (laughs) It could be dead. Yeah, so why not just love your dog for who she is and enjoy her company while you still have it? Because one day, she might get hit by a car. <laughs> and then you've really got to miss her. Well, that's... Um, Marley and me. Gypsy Joe and me. It's really brought the mood down. I had a dream, it was a curious thing A wonderful podcast presenter's problem solved for me When I awoke, all I could find was agony All right, let's lift the mood with problem three. You two better not have miserable examples for this one. Oh, mine's so miserable. Much like my favourite agony art presenter, Carl. That's out of order, isn't it, Liam? I've never been so offended in my life. Carl. Carl's in the house, rocking the place. How does it feel to have your first and only fan? <laughs> My only fan. Carl's an only fan. <laughs> have you not heard? I've got a free one, but also got a subscription one. Yeah, yeah. Pay to see more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see any more. <laughs> anyway, much like my favourite agony art presenter, Carl, I love films. The problem is, I love them so much that when they're on, I can't stand any distraction, no matter how small. I've actually fallen out with friends in the past for trying to talk to me during The Godfather or eating too loudly during 2001 A Space Odyssey. Unless I want to watch films alone forevermore, I think I'm going to have to learn to chill out. But how do I do it? So, favourite agony art presenter, Carl, did you get your wife to write in for this <laughs> No, I wrote this myself. Yeah. <laughs> about yourself yeah. do, do you uh, have this problem do I do have, have this problem yeah. oh my god he really did write this problem himself <laughs> it's weird like if if I haven't seen it before I hate it like I pause if people are talking I pause it mm. like what, what, what are you saying <laughs> if I'm in you a cinema saying? you don't chat about a film oh yeah no you know what I mean So um, I do hate people talking in the cinema it really pisses me off yeah. and to be fair like if you're it's a film you're really into hmm. and I haven't seen it before, I will be pissed off if someone's talking. Yeah, it's got. There are certain films that are for the community, mm. or like Debbie Does uh, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a like I don't know, scary movie. 
talk away. Yeah, yeah, fair you know? enough. Mm. Yeah, there's like most comedy films when you don't the storyline isn't really that important, so no. you can have a little lol, especially if you've seen it before. Well, I was going to say, since their favourite Agony Art presenter was Carl, we should name this person after Carl's wife, but we don't want to dox her, so let's call her Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. <laughs> or Samma Hayek. Uh, so, Liam, have you got any advice for Stephen? I've got a or bit of Selma. advice. Um, so, apart from wholeheartedly agreeing with you, I, I would caveat that with saying, if it really is hurting your friendships, then, yeah, maybe you've got a point. Maybe you should uh, chill out a little bit. I think what you probably need to do is remind yourself of why you cherish your friendship so much in the first place. And there are so many good f- songs about friends, aren't there? Yeah. I'll be there for you. We'll come back to that one. Because oh. I've been there before. Any of us? Um, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Ooh, white Stripes, very good. Mm. You got a friend. You got a friend yeah. in me. <laughs> Anyway, we can all list hundreds of friends songs. Well, I listed two. <laughs> I, was, I was out. I was out by then. <laughs> uh, what about Queen? My best friend. Oh yeah. Uh, see, there's hundreds. Ooh, you make me live, laugh, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what better song to talk about than the theme tune to Friends? The first one that Aaron pointed out. Very disappointed in you. Yeah, I can tell that we are <laughs> friends. <laughs> I'll be there for you. Released by the Rembrandts in 1995. I never knew this. This song did not exist until Friends. They wrote it for the TV show. Oh, my days. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I thought it was a 90s tune that they licensed for the programme. Do the Rembrandts have any other hits? They, okay. they have been described as... They a, did a few paintings. <laughs> yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> They've been described as one of the best two-hit wonder bands of all time, but... Nobody knows their other songs. <laughs> they didn't so have I don't think one. they really are too much. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it was big in America. Now, how do sure. they get selected to write the song for Friends? Well, I'll tell you about that. Um, so this song, it was originally, the original version aired in 1994, obviously, as the first series of Friends did. Um, the original version of it was actually written by the producers, David Crane and Mark Kaufman, with a bit of help from songwriter Ali Willis, who, by the way, wrote... September and Boogie Wonderland by Earth, Wind and Fire. Mm. Two amazing songs. They are tunes. And uh, also co-wrote the 2005 Broadway musical The Colour Purple. So the Rembrandts actually didn't write the first version of it at all. Why are there multiple versions of it? As well, we'll come on to that. <laughs> we're, we're constantly coming on to something. Why yeah, don't well, we you just keep interrupting there? me with questions about <laughs> things I'm about to tell you. That's why. <laughs> uh, the music for I'll Be There For You was actually composed by Marta Kaufman's husband, Michael Schloff. And the original only had one verse and one chorus, as you see it in the in the first series of the show and all the other series of the show. And the Rembrandts allegedly didn't even want to do it. So R.E.M. were apparently initially approached and asked if shiny happy people could be used. But R.E.M. said no. That would be terrible though, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Mm, yeah, wouldn't have been as fit, iconic, would it? Do you think Friends would have been what it was if Shiny Happy People was the theme? No, it would have been cancelled after season one. Mm. After the theme tune. <laughs> after the theme tune. <laughs> Axed immediately <laughs> off the air. <laughs> yeah. In a 2009 interview with NME, REM frontman Michael Stipe said that the story he had heard, he was very non-committal about this. He was like, this is what I heard. I don't know if it was true. <laughs> um, he said that he'd heard I'll Be There For You was written to sound like an REM song. 
Doesn't sound much like an REM song. That's what I thought. Like, I don't. If it was the case, they didn't do a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, REM song. So the story goes that Warner Brothers, who were REM's record label and producing friends, I think, they then turned to the only available band on their label at the time, the Rembrandts, and they <laughs> reluctantly agreed to record the song. <laughs> One of their only two hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they are... They said a few times that they don't want to be known for just recording a theme tune to a television show. Oh, too late. Got bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and Do you think in reality, they'd take it all back and be like, no, we'd rather not be known than have been known like this? Yeah. Bullshit. I'll go yeah. back to my nine to five. Yeah. At Asda. Yeah, my unemployed freelance songwriter. Well, they, they also said that they've they've not made enough for it to retire. So... Most of the money presumably has gone to Warner Brothers, or or probably the people that actually wrote, wrote the song. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, they should do the uni circuit, shouldn't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. With them, um, Carl Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when Carl Kennedy and the Rembrandts, <laughs> I'll be there for you <laughs> on Ramsey Street. So when when the original came out, they they weren't that. King. They only recorded the first kind of shorter version of it for the TV show, but radio stations started playing it. Some radio stations even started playing it on a loop because it was so short. <laughs> and the people at the record label were like, "We're going to make loads of money. We should record this." And the Rembrandts uh, were quoted as saying, "They they pretty much had no choice. They had to record it." <laughs> so they they ended up writing some of it. They added a second verse and the middle eight, and a couple more choruses. And released it as a three-minute single. So I think they got some songwriting credits because they wrote little bits of the song. Yeah. So yeah, I thought all that was really interesting. But what's the point? I hear you cry. I've just zoned out, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the point, we've got to get back to the lyrics of the song, particularly the middle eight, which was actually written by the Rembrandts. No one could ever know me. No one could ever see me. Seems you're the only one who knows what it's like to be me. Someone to face the day with. Make it for all the rest with. Someone I'll always laugh with. Even at my worst, I'm best with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most poignant line, that last one. Total friend. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea. Like Friends are pretty good to have. So if you're doing something that upsets them, you should have a good think about that and about how dear they are to you and whether you want to change that. And that's my point. That's beautiful. Yeah, your reach is almost as big as mine. <laughs> You've brought a tear to my eye. Almost though. as good as meditation for dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue your point and go at it from a different angle. Same point, different angle, mate. Pincer. Pincer We're going to pincer. Uh, who is this again? Oh, yeah, Stephen Graham slash Selma Hayek. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only should you think about how much you value those friendships but you should think about what life will be like if you destroy them and those friends are out of the picture every time you think about going shh or pausing and saying what what the fuck do you want because we're not talking during the film you should think about all the loners of literature and remember how shit they felt we spoke in series one lockdown light three back when lockdown first hit about goodnight mr tom by michelle magorian In that episode, we said he's standoffish and he's rude to everyone in the village. And as a result, he's got no friends except for one little boy. He's got no choice but to be his friend because he gets uh, evacuated to live with (laughs) Mr. Tom. Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Miss Havisham is so heartbroken after being dumped that she spends the rest of her life wearing the wedding dress she would have worn if it had gone ahead. And in the end, it drives her so incredibly mad that she tries to use her adopted child to break Pip's heart. 
like some kind of psychopathic puppet master. Mm. And Isn't the wedding spread out as well and it's rotting? Isn't it? Yeah, I think the wedding cake is mm. on the table, yeah. I don't know if that's in the book, but it's certainly in the film adaptation they showed us in English. In yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. all my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. From, yeah. In, um, in Dickensian Britain, wouldn't that have encouraged rats? Mm. Her friends were only rats. Do you know, it's false that the Great Fire of London wiped out the plague. I didn't know that was a yeah, thing. Oh, did you know the Great Fire of London wiped out the plague? Did it? No. <laughs> <laughs> My granddad always used to tell me that um, Blackheath is called Blackheath and Gravesend is called Gravesend because the Black Death mm. bodies were buried from Blackheath to Gravesend. Yeah, I heard that as a kid, yeah. And I've read that that's bullshit as well. Yeah. I've dug it up. So. No, no bodies. <laughs> I dug it up. There were no <laughs> bodies. The whole there. stretch. <laughs> The Collector by John Fowles. Frederick Clegg doesn't want to be a loner anymore, so he kidnaps, drugs, and imprisons a woman. So these are the kind of depths you'll have to sink to if you alienate all your friends by having a go at them when they talk during films. Which of these loners do you want to be, Stephen, Selma? Miss Havisham, because she has the last laugh. Well, it was a rhetorical question. You weren't supposed <laughs> to want to be any of them, but same point, different angle. I've pincered them. Carl, going for the finisher. So yeah, this does annoy me as well. So I've got... The problem is, as you'll find out in Focus, starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie in 2015, directed by two people, because one wasn't enough to make a shit film. (laughs) (laughs) It is exceedingly average, isn't it? Yeah. We said in one of our previous episodes, Will Smith says yes to a lot of really mediocre scripts. Yeah. Count, like, what is... Name a great Will Smith film. Independence Day. Yeah. Men in Black. Men in Black. That was his heyday, wasn't it? Mm. Late 90s. What about Hitch? Was that any good? Which right. was great. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. But then you've got like Seven Pounds, Pursuit of Happiness, Focus, mm. Hancock, we talked about, didn't we? I Am Legend. I Am Legend's all right. I Am Legend was poorly received though, wasn't it? Mm. Especially by people who'd read the book. They were like, you changed so much, man. Because the dog died mm. as well, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into this film too much, but what happens is he's a con man. He trains Margot Robbie to be a con woman. And he trains her so well that... Obviously, she, he teaches her to focus a lot. So, when <laughs> focus, just focus. <laughs> she. Um, Do you remember when John Fashionu was on? Um, I'm a celebrity. I'm a celebrity, and he would just say focus all the time. He'd tell himself to focus. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I like that though. I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the dredged up from mm. my bad memory, which is a story I tell myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just, yeah, your memory made that. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, listen to John Fashionu. And well, the thing is, if you want your friends to focus, like John Fashnu says, the thing is that Margot in the Robbie, film Focus, yeah, Margot Robbie ended up breaking away, becoming like a better con man and a femme fatale, and like fucking up Will Smith's life. So, from what I know about she it, she conned Connor, conned Connor. So maybe you don't want your friends to focus too much. They might come back to bite you. <laughs> They'll be so silent during films that they will have stolen all your money <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> so my advice would be to only watch films with them that you know really well to allow them to talk and if you really don't want to watch films with your friends at all watch films you know really well and say the words before the actors say them which is really annoying yeah. for people you think it's impressive but everyone else hates it <laughs> yeah they'll never want to watch a film with you again exactly and then you can watch films alone that's perfect like Miss Havisham <laughs> can't just solve the problem single handedly there you go so that's my advice John Fashionu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think 
it could be argued that we kind of phoned it in a bit there in the last problem but i think we still solved it effectively okay. even when we're half in it we're whole in it <laughs> so you're welcome Stephen. and that does bring us to the end of today's episode so i'm going to do something that we forgot to do last week but I'm bringing it all back to you. Bring it back. Different song, but all right. What was your favourite piece of art oh, that yeah. you have mentioned today, lads? I would say Frasier, that I was in Pop Quiz, but I would say Marley and Me. It's a really good film. And if you need, sometimes you need a good cry, and it will make you cry. Mm. Oh, I need that regularly. Mm. It is true. It really releases. It's like a little valve to yeah. just release the pressure inside you, isn't it? Yeah. I think I will go with uh, Gypsy Joe and Me by Dolly Parton because I've only recently discovered it. And aside from the fact that it's tragic, it's uh, I thought it was quite good. Mm. I'm going to go with um, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens because it's just a classic, isn't it? But that's all we've got time for today. So check the no- episode notes on agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today and for a link to the Spotify playlist where you can listen to all the songs. If you have a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on our website. I'd like to thank our resident Agony Aunts for their contributions. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. See ya. Bye. See ya. But I'd suggest keep it light Cause their advice can be shite And they won't be held liable Oh no, not at all Not here at Agony Art Agony Art Agony